And then quite frankly, after Barack Obama, who had been really a, a very new senator and a very inexperienced politician, um, much of the country said, maybe we should just give up on politicians altogether. And that's how you end up with Donald Trump. Today, I'm here with Dr. Laura Brown. We spoke to you back in 2015 about your previous book, and now I'm going to be chatting with you today about your book, Amateur Hour, Presidential Character and the Question of Leadership. So, Laura, if you just want to briefly introduce yourself, and then we'll get into the questions. Sure. So I am Dr. Laura Brown. I serve as the director of the Graduate School of Political Management at the George Washington University. Um, I am a political scientist by training. I study political parties and presidents and scandal and leadership. And so it was time to kind of bring all of the threads of my research together into this most recent book that I published, Amateur Hour. So my first question will be, yes, I, you just mentioned you're a political scientist, but putting that aside, what are the reasons did you write this book? So I think what is interesting to me, and I, I explain this in the introduction um, of in my book, is that character seems to be something that Americans expect our leaders to have. And while there are many ways to describe character and to define character, what was surprising to me as somebody who studies our American political system is that President Trump's character, or I should say Donald Trump's character, was considered sufficient by enough people to make him president of the United States. And why is that surprising to me? Well, it's surprising to me because prior to the presidency, Donald Trump was known for scandalous relationships, was known for shady business deals, was known to be a, an outrageous celebrity personality. He was not someone who you would necessarily say, oh yes, I want my children to look up to him. And I think that was really surprising to me because when you study the American presidency, what you see is a very uh, concerted attempt by all of the politicians who run for that office to say, no, I'm, I have good character. I have sterling reputation. I am somebody you should trust to be a leader. So there was, um, I think in some ways, a, a tragic cynicism that went with our public embracing Donald Trump's character as being representative of what a president of the United States should be. Yeah. So in your book too, you mentioned that like presidents sort of have to like figure out their role and then kind of step into that. And they, they kind of, in a sense, become an actor. So Donald Trump didn't, didn't, I wouldn't say he did that. So like, why is it, I mean, a large majority of people did like Donald Trump, a large majority didn't, but would you say that him kind of just being himself was that also a good thing or is it more important to become this acting president? Than to just well, so 
Yeah, I spent a lot of time in my book um, talking about the role of president and the role that is required, right, of any leader. Um, leaders are expected to not just essentially pronounce, you know, their intentions, but they are also expected to serve the people whom they purport to lead. And what that means is that you have to have an understanding of what the public wants and needs. And sometimes you are called upon as a leader to do things that are not in your own nature, right? There are times when you as a leader might see a, a public being um, devastated by a tragedy, right? You could imagine there's a mass shooting. Um, several people in your district have been killed. You are called upon in that moment to show a sense of compassion, to have empathy for those who lost lives or for the tragedy that is. You are being called upon to then have a leadership response that looks to address um, those injustices or those um, you know, tragic events. The problem with conflating celebrities with actors is that celebrities are never anyone other than who they are. So Donald Trump was never anyone other than who he was, which was um, a boastful, bullying, um, sort of, you know, braggart. I mean, he was somebody who, who liked to always say, um, I'm always right. I know more than everybody. And, you know, it doesn't matter what the truth is, what the events on the ground are, what the people around me are saying. It doesn't matter. I do what I want. And because I do what I want, people see me as a leader. Well, you know, that works for some people some of the time. Um, it doesn't work all of the time, and it certainly doesn't work for everyone. And really good leaders, um, you know, whether we're talking about George Washington or Abraham Lincoln, um, have much greater perception about the people who are around them. And, and this is what I mean about there is a difference between an actor and a celebrity. An actor, to a certain extent, tries to not be themselves, right? They work very hard to understand the role they are stepping into, the character that is required to make manifest that role. And in fact, they try to, you know, sort of push down this idea of, you know, I should be me. Um, but celebrities are all about celebrating me. Mm -hmm. um, whether we're talking about the Kardashians or we're talking about Donald Trump, um, that is the sort of basis of celebrity, that somehow you are famous just for being you, not for anything you have done and really not for anything um, that might be laudable or lasting. It might be just that you broke the internet uh, with a picture that was highly scandalous. Mm -hmm. So I guess now, because Donald Trump's no longer the president, we're at we're with Joe Biden now. So would you say there was a a big a big shift from what 
Trump brought to the country and what Biden is starting to bring to the country? Well, sure. I mean, not only do they have sort of a different approach to politics, right? Um, as I mentioned, Donald Trump saw and believed that sort of strength was always what it meant to be a leader. Um, I think it's fair to say that Joe Biden leads with compassion, right? He believes that it's important to be compassionate as opposed to say being confrontational. Donald Trump would have always prioritized confrontation over compassion. Um, but aside from that, there's another really marked difference, and this is something I also talk about in my book, is that Joe Biden has an enormous amount of political experience. Mm -hmm. Vast majority of presidents prior to um, kind of the last sort of 40 years, what are considered to be the contemporary presidents, um, presidents also had a lot of experience in politics. They were often attorneys. They had often uh, run for office, whether they had been representatives or senators or governors, they had had experience in the world of public service. In fact, the only people who didn't have political experience um, prior to gaining the presidency and prior to 1976 uh, were military generals. So these are people who had actually fought wars and they were, they were famous because they had achieved valiant deeds. Um, they were not famous just for being famous. They were famous for what they did, whether that was Dwight Eisenhower or William Henry Harrison or Andrew Jackson. They had accomplished valiant, heroic deeds in service of the country. And they had put their own personal self-interest aside in those endeavors had oftentimes risked their life for the country. So again, I think what is important is when you look at President Trump, before he ran for office, he had zero political experience. Um, he you know, was not in the military. He did not have legal training. He had really no sense of the political process except as a donor to candidates where in his mind, he was buying off politicians um, to get what his business uh, required. Yeah, so it's, it was kind of a big shift from what people have been used to. And then when he came into office, I guess you could say. Um, so I wanted to mention, uh, go back to what you talked about in your book. You said that you don't believe that we can understand people's motivations, which psychologically, obviously we can't, we can't get inside of people's heads really, but could you kind of, um, could you like see whether people had good or bad motivations based off their actions? And what, what would you say about that? So this is really an understanding of character that goes back to um, Plutarch. Um, and it is this idea that who you are, is represented in every action you take. So to really actually understand sort of the goodness of a person or the 
sort of, you know, high performance of a person or whatever, you need to actually look at their actions. You need to look at what they do. It's not about what they say, it's what they do. Mm -hmm. So um, I think it's really important when we look at politicians, we have to understand that politicians are engaged in a performance all the time. They are wanting to you know, gain public approval. They are wanting to engage in actions that are going to kind of bring them greater favorability, right? Mm-hmm. Yes. So what is important is, I don't know, and I don't think really anyone can know, um, who that person is at the authentic level, right? Mm-hmm. I don't know whether their performance as a leader is sincere, or whether it is essentially um, them working on behalf of the public to try to get a good public favorability rating to then allow themselves um, some latitude to negotiate with their colleagues in a democratic system. Um, And so I just think that what's important is when you're trying to understand people, it's not necessarily about judging people, it's about understanding that what they do is really shows up in in kind of all of their actions and who they are is reflected in those actions. So, I mean, one of my favorite things to say, you know, to my fellow colleagues who all, we all write and we all write books. Um, But the truth of the matter is you can say you're writing a book, but if every day you're not writing, you're probably not writing a book. So our actions really do speak louder than our words. Mm-hmm. I think that's the best way to try to understand politicians. Yeah. Okay. So I kind of wanted to like focus around presidents becoming that character when they step into office. So I guess like, yeah, they kind of have to be a, like, it's been it's wrote into history that you kind of have to be a leader when you're in the office, but kind of like, I just wanted to ask who made that not like, it's not a rule, but it's kind of like an unspoken rule that you need to be a different person when you're in office. So why is that? I mean, let me just say it's, you have to be a different person. You have to be the best person you can be. Yeah. And I think that it's very tragic that we actually keep kind of um, bringing down the office instead mm-hmm. of asking people to step up. Yeah. Allowing the office to become more and more mundane rather than saying to people, actually, you got to do better. Um, yeah. And some of this is, is not about um, sort of all of a sudden you're going to be a different person in office because I don't believe that. No. I really don't believe that. I don't believe that one can fundamentally sort of be a different person earlier in their life and then a different person yeah. later in their life without a tremendous amount of personal work and effort. So I kind of see the office of the presidency a little bit like the institution of marriage. And what I mean by that is that if you are dating someone 
and you believe that the institution of marriage will make that individual a better person, you are fooling yourself. Yeah. The truth is, once they are in the institution of marriage, or once a president is in that office, they actually usually become just a greater expression of themselves. So that's why you want to think about character before they get there. You want to ask yourself, does this person have the true character of a leader? Mm -hmm. Somebody that I will trust when sort of events, you know, descend and life is turned upside down. Mm -hmm. Trust them to actually make good decisions. Have they made good decisions in the past? Yeah, that's, that's definitely a great way to put it. So just kind of your own opinion, would you say more of the modern presidents have shown this presidential character before getting into office? Well, I think we, um, I think there's sort of two sides to that question. Yeah. So the first side is that um, the contemporary presidency is considered this era of presidents from 1976 to the present day. Mm-hmm. And why we sort of market there have, have two reasons. First, um, the nomination process changed substantially in the 1970s in the United States. Um, we instituted primaries and um, sort of public um, engagement at that nomination level, which hadn't really been true before. Um, So you can really see that Jimmy Carter is essentially the first real president to have won um, in this new nomination process. And Jimmy Carter is is another sort of piece of the puzzle for one other reason. Um, In the wake of Vietnam and in the wake of Watergate, Americans stopped trusting politicians. They said to themselves, look it, um, Lyndon Johnson and Richard Nixon were incredibly experienced politicians. They had been in Washington for a long time and they lied to the American people. Um, things were not good, right? Both Watergate and Vietnam were huge um, problems that the country, I think, in some ways is still dealing with. Mm -hmm. And and what is true about that is that the public then decided, okay, if politicians are untrustworthy, and we then we shouldn't keep selecting people who were from Washington, because Washington is where sort of the power is and power corrupts and these people were corrupted. Mm-hmm. So to look outside of Washington to find us better leaders. And as a country, we began to look at governors. And that's how you end up with Jimmy Carter, who was very much an outsider, had been governor of Georgia. That's how you end up with Ronald Reagan, who had been an outsider and was governor. Um, of California and Bill Clinton, who was governor of Arkansas. And then we did some interesting things too. After 9-11, we believed that we might need some senators, um, maybe some people who had more foreign policy experience because there was a belief that George W. Bush, who also had been a governor, perhaps had not handled that 
um, crisis well. Mm -hmm. so we started to look at senators, whether those nominees were, were John Kerry or John McCain, um, Hillary Clinton, and eventually Barack Obama. Um, you saw a reaching for senators. Mm -hmm. And then quite frankly, after Barack Obama, who had been really a, a very new senator and a very inexperienced politician, um, much of the country said, maybe we should just give up on politicians altogether. And that's how you end up with Donald Trump. So one of the things that this narrative that I've just kind of um, spelled out shows is how much um, we as a public in the United States tend to react more than we tend to discern. And what I mean by that is whatever the last person was is usually what we decide we don't want the next time. Yeah. And we just kind of bounce back and forth and kind of returning to these relationship analogies, you can think about this as rebounding, right? not really making good decisions, we're just rebounding into maybe our next problem, which might be a different set of problems than the ones we currently are grappling with. Yeah, that's a great analogy. It's a perfect way to put it. Um, okay, so let's kind of talk about your past book, uh, the one we talked about in 2015, and how we got, how you got to this book now, like that kind of six-year gap on how how America got to this point essentially. Well so the the gap is actually 10 years in publishing, but it yeah, has sorry. been um it has been only six years um since we last spoke. Yeah. I mean quite frankly the book that I wrote in 2010 um is in some ways the precursor to this book that I just published in 2020. Mm -hmm. If you look back at what I was doing, I was trying to understand in 2010, who runs for president and who wins. Mm -hmm. And I found out that first of all, all candidates are inordinately ambitious. That shouldn't be a surprise to anybody. It takes a lot for somebody to actually say, yes, I think I should be leader of a country. Yeah. So. Um, at the personal level, these individuals are very, very ambitious. Um, the other thing that really separated what I understood successful presidents to be versus unsuccessful presidents, and I don't mean in terms of their presidency, I mean in terms of winning the office, Yeah. Um, it came down to how as I put it, opportunistic they were. I looked at their levels of opportunism because what I was interested in was whether or not a candidate could capitalize on a current environment in a way that actually benefited their candidacy. Mm -hmm. The people who, who perceived and saw opportunities in the environment are the people who ended up winning by and large. Um, now you fast forward that, what that then meant was, okay, the only problem with this is when we look at opportunism, in the past, 
those people who were politically opportunistic were also politically experienced. Mm -hmm. So they kind of knew, if you will, what rules you could break, what changes you could make, what norms you could alter without violating the basic tenets of democracy, which really are held together around a set of norms. Um, the problem with political inexperience is that you don't actually know which opportunities you should go for and which ones you really shouldn't touch, right? So we are in this position right now when we think about President Trump and he continues to talk about the illegitimacy of the election. Yeah. Um, there's no basis for that. There have been recount after recount, there have been lawsuits, there have been Supreme Court decisions. There is zero evidence that the American election in 2020 was in any way fraudulent or stolen. The problem is former President Trump continues to say that. Yeah. Continues to say it because it, he believes that it, it is an advantage for him to convince his supporters that the election was stolen and that that's how he will stay relevant. Well, the problem is that pits his ambition against the entire um, you know, republic in terms mm -hmm. of the health of the democracy, because we are now at a point where a majority of Republicans believe the election was stolen. Yeah. That's, you know, not true. So this is where um, what you saw over time was that as these ambitious opportunists became less experienced, they became less grounded in the democratic norms and structures that actually uphold our entire system. And this kind of change where presidents have become more authoritarian, where presidents have become kind of more solo actors, where they've become more personalities interested in their partisan policies than in actually trying to make the system work. Mm -hmm. um, all of those things were to a certain extent foreseeable and to some degree exist in conversations that I had in my first book, and then really are sort of detailed or expanded in my second book. Okay. Okay. Perfect. And then let's just kind of bring it back to character. So I guess, would you say that the upbringing of, of a president would impact their presidential character and how they run office? So this is what's interesting, right? Um, it's not really about what happens to you. It's about how you respond to it. True. So when I think about character, I think about traits like flexibility and resiliency and a willingness to keep learning and a willingness um, to ask oneself, you know, how uh, did that all go? And do I want it to go that way again? Or should I think about how I change? Mm -hmm. One of the things that's so extraordinary about 
former presidents like Washington and Lincoln was that they spent their entire lives trying to become better people. Mm-hmm. That was a fundamental part of who they were. Um, they were reflective. They were introspective. They read, um, you know, many other sort of philosophers and thought deeply about their own behavior. And they tried to become kind of better. Um, And this is where I think it's kind of a tragedy in our world today. There seems to be a belief that who you are is good enough. It's always good enough. You're great no matter what you do. You know, that's not really um, in any way kind of the ancient teachings, the ancient teachings of of humanity. And whether you're talking about religious teachings, and it's not just the Judeo-Christian ethic, but it's every um, sort of religion. It's also kind of the uh, traditional morality is really actually that you were born kind of with a base nature and that, and that your job over the course of your life is to try to improve your nature, to mm-hmm. become a better character, to try to show others um, that you are caring and kind and compassionate. Um, and you try to become through work a better person. Mm-hmm. So again, what's so interesting is we've kind of turned that inside out. Yeah. And I think that's a problem, not just for leadership, but for society in general. Because the truth is, I don't think there should be anyone who should be proud of being authentically awful. Yeah, I agree. (laughs) But that's, but that is part of what our culture celebrates. Mm -hmm. You, when you think about reality shows, or you think about um, sort of our entertainment, there is a there is a constant kind of reveling in look how awful and shocking and horrible I can be. And isn't that great? I'm generating a lot of fame, not I'm I'm doing good or important things, but just because I can attract attention. Exactly. Yeah, I completely agree with that. So I guess with that mindset, what would you say is the biggest problem within American presidency because of how society frames like kind of celebrating like bad things, I guess, and you could say in a way. (laughs) Well, I think the biggest problem is that we think that politics is marketing. Yeah. And while every politician has to understand marketing. Marketing is not the basis of politics. Um, The definition of politics is actually about a process by which human beings resolve conflict nonviolently. When politics fails, war ensues because there's no other way to resolve conflict. And unfortunately, much of marketing revolves around kind of creating conflict or creating um, a sense of 
kind of shock and awe and surprise. And so I do think that the problem is, is that we have all of these politicians who are focused on their brand, getting their, their brand to be well known, becoming a celebrity. Um, and they think that that's politics, but they're not solving anything. Mm -hmm. They're actually only making the public space, I would say, kind of more polluted with a conversation that doesn't help the, the actual polity. Yeah, I agree with that. So I'm going to end on that note, but is there anything else you would like to add to this conversation or about your recent book and presidential character in general? Well, I mean, I just think that what is so important is that all of us step back from kind of our own wants and think about our collective needs. So I do think that there is this tendency in the world today to believe that if I don't get what I want, the system is rigged or broken. Well, actually that's not true. Um, the system itself is there to actually try to do things for the majority of people. You as a singular individual are not a majority of people. Yeah. So while it is true that there are aspects of our political system that need reform and that there are injustices that occur um, across our system, it's also important to, I would say, kind of learn to take the narcissism out of it. Yeah. Um, because it's not just about sort of you, it's about a larger um, aim and goal. Exactly. All right. Well, I'm going to end uh, end there because I feel like that was a good point to end on. <laughs> um, thank you so much for speaking with me today. I really enjoyed our conversation. Absolutely. And, and I hope everyone listening enjoys because I really did too. <laughs> thank you, Cameron. It was a pleasure to speak with you. Thank you. It was great speaking with you as well.